It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and you know what? It's never too early to talk about the NFL draft. And with more players deciding to opt out, we're finding a little bit more about what could be the process moving forward with these names that possibly could be contenders for first-round picks or maybe just undrafted free agent gems going off what you know heading into the 2020 season. So with draft season always around the corner, we brought in a very good friend of mine, Ian Cummings from Pro Football Network, recently did an article talking about the Aggies and their draft prospects. So we're going to get him on the show. We're going to be talking a little bit about him. But before we begin, as always, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and myself at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am a mister. My name is Cole Thompson, and I love public feedback. Remember, this is a three to five day a week show, and we have so little information Usually because of COVID-19, we love your opinions. We love your feedback. So whatever you could do, give us a follow, give us a like, subscribe to the podcast, but more importantly, at least subscribe at Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M related content found here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Subscribe on Spotify, listen on iTunes. If you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. Well, I said we had a very special guest joining us. He covers the NFL Draft for Pro Football Network. He is a good friend of mine. He loves the SEC, and he's got a lot of information to break down with us. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my main man, Ian Cummings. Ian, what's going on, my dude? Nothing much, man. Yeah, just got done with that piece uh, this weekend. I felt good, so it was actually kind of funny. I didn't really know what to write about, so I, uh, I hit up Ryan Roscoe, uh, the draft director. He was filling in for Andrew. I was like, what you got? And uh, he was talking about maybe writing on an underrated team in the SEC. So I kind of combed through it and was kind of going through who I thought I should write about. And I, I came to Texas A&M and I really liked what they got. And uh, so I felt I felt pretty good writing about that. But I'm happy to be on. I mean, definitely. And I think that when we look at the A&M roster, you can go through so many SEC teams. You can see how much they lost, how much is depleted in an already kind of weakened offseason due to COVID-19. And A&M is returning nine starters on offense, nine starters on defense. This is a very stout team that's looking to still be a competitor in the SEC West going into 2020. But Naturally, we have started to see something around the NFL, which is the opt-out clause. For anyone who doesn't understand what that is, if a player decides to opt out due to COVID-19 reasons, uh, as in a family member has it, a medical per- like someone in their family has medical issues due to COVID, they will get a $350,000 stipend pay. For anyone who does not have those, they can still opt out with a $150,000 stipend pay. But more importantly, college football, even without fans in the stands right now, is still planning on happening. So we've started to see some very big time names actually say, I'm not going to play this year. It started with Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley, uh, probably a top two corner in this year's upcoming draft. Definitely, I think, going to be a bona fide first round pick. Then Minnesota's Rashad Bateman came out and said, I'm going to sit out. That's a big loss for P.J. Fleck and a 10-2 Minnesota team that won't, only wants to improve next year. And then you have this past morning, Micah Parsons coming out of Penn State saying, I'm not going to play. I'm going to go out and just make my mark in the NFL, probably the top linebacker prospect. So, Ian, let me just get your opinion on this real fast. 
What do you make of these players opting out instead of playing their either final year or seeing if there's going to be a season? Do you like it? Do you think it's a little weird? Do you understand it? Just, just, just your overall opinion of it. It makes sense to me, uh, especially when you look at the guys that are opting out so far. Uh, Farley, um, Bateman, Parsons. Like you said, these guys are all probably going in the first round next year. So they really don't have much to gain, you know, based on the risks that we're facing with COVID, especially if they have family members who are susceptible or, you know, more at risk, you know. You don't want to risk that, especially also injury risk too. So it kind of compounds that. You got the injury risk and contracting COVID and potentially passing it on to your family members and your friends and your loved ones. It just doesn't seem like it matches up. The opportunity cost is greater playing the season than it is just sitting out when you're probably going to be a first-round pick anyway. Stay healthy, train, and just try and maximize your NFL bid. I think it's a pretty possible decision to me. Now, for you, scouting on the more of a scouting side of things, we always see these guys kind of boost up draft boards in their final year. You know, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, moves into the top-10 conversation. I mean, the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, was considered a fourth-round pick going into this year, and he ends up winning the Heisman and setting, you know, NCAA records. In your opinion, do you think if you're sitting out, that could hurt your draft stock, or do you just see it as more of an opportunity for those who aren't sitting out to boost their draft stock? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, uh, personally. I think it's more of the latter. Um, I think most of the people that we're going to see sitting out are people who have a little bit of security with their draft stock. Because if you don't, you know, you're kind of like, well, I have to take this risk because the upside is I, I pull a Joe Burrow, I boost my stock, and next thing I know, I'm getting some NFL pay. So, But then if you already have that security, if you're already kind of, you've got that resume behind you, you put some stats on the table, you put some tape up there that scouts like, you can say, okay, I'm going with that. I'm just working out. I'm trying to maximize my skill set in time for the draft. And hopefully maybe some combine and pro day activities are back by then. We don't know, but I feel like more of those guys who have that security are going to opt out. But then the people who don't, they, they kind of have to bet on themselves. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And it's situational either way, because some players have risks that they're facing. That others don't like maybe some have asthma. Or like I said earlier, some have family members who are susceptible. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on a situational basis. I, I can see I can see a lot of variations, but I, I think in general, um, players with more security are going to be opting out because they want to preserve that. And yeah, that's what I see happening. Ian Cummings from the Pro Football Network. Make sure you guys give him a follow at Ian Cummings 9 He is a fantastic follow. Glad to have him on the pod. Fan of the show. Uh, Ian, they're now talking about with the NCAA moving towards in-conference schedules. We've already seen the Big Ten come out and say, we're going to play only conference. Now, the SEC and the ACC recently came out with their decision to go 10-game schedules in conference, but keep those open weekends available for other proponents. Just let me get your opinion on this for just as a general writer. I know that you're not in the SEC area. I think you're actually in Big Ten area, if I'm not mistaken. So you see this, and you see how this is going to you know, unfold. When you look at this from the college football playoff committee, you have a team that maybe is 10 and two, but both their losses are against conference opponents where in the big 10, you only have an eight game schedule and you win all eight. Does that factor in, in your opinion, to how you pick the final four, if there is a college football playoff? It's really going to be interesting because you're not going to have the same matchups and the same juxtapositions that they'll have in other years. Like you might have a Big Ten team like Michigan playing an SEC team, you know, like LSU or Florida in any given year or something like that. But you don't have those matchups. You don't have those comparisons now. And it's going to be really interesting to see 
how they weigh things because you really don't have those comparisons anymore. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens. I like what the SEC did uh, by keeping two games open for non-conference opponents because I think that'll kind of broaden the scope a little bit. The Big Ten, I can understand why you would do it because locationally it, it mitigates the risk a little bit to keep it within conference, although the Big Ten is kind of wide-ranging, like from Nebraska to Rutgers. So it's pretty far, but I mean – and, but you have familiarity, too. You know where to go when you get to those stadiums. You've been there before every year. So it's not like you're changing up the schedule or the or the procedure or anything. So I can understand it. I like what the SEC is doing, and I, I think it's definitely going to mix stuff up. I'm interested to see how they how they tackle that. I haven't really thought about it to this point yet because, really, I mean, we've, we've been thinking about the changes that are happening before the season. We don't even know. We can't even begin to think about what's going to happen uh, in the playoffs. So, But I, I, I think definitely – in other years, you have teams you can kind of compare um, based on who they play out of conference. But when that kind of gets thrown out the window, it just kind of mixes everything up. So, One thing that I do want to talk about before we go to a quick break, uh, this isn't SEC related. This is not uh, A&M related, but it is kind of related to the SEC in a bit. We've started to see Notre Dame actually play against these proponent teams. Georgia, they were supposed to face off against Arkansas the next two years. Now that's not happening. But instead of them being an independent in 2020 they're going to play in the ACC. First off, what do you think that's going to be like? Are they going to be just a complete joke because they don't really play anybody? And more importantly, is this going to be the start to maybe see them join the ACC in football where they're in the ACC in every other opponent? I, I think it could be a start because Notre Dame brings in a lot of talent every year. Uh, so I think they're definitely up there. They're not with Clemson. Uh, very few teams are. But I, it's going to be really interesting to see how they compete against that team and how they compete against other teams in the ACC. But I think Clemson is the big juxtaposition, though, because we always think of Notre Dame as one of these blue bloods, one of those teams that's always up there. And now they finally get a chance to play that team every year. You know, it's going to be heavily anticipated. I'm excited to see what happens. Ian Cummings here from Pro Football Network, NFL Draft Analyst, giving us an insight on his recent article talking about Texas A&M. And we're going to be back in just a quick moment, breaking down some of the top names to look forward to in 2020. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love college football? Do you love all sports? Do you love hearing those sports talk about daily? If so, why not listen to a Locked On Podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL and fantasy sport information to get you ready for the upcoming year. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live here on LockedOnPodcast.com. We're joined by Ian Cummings, Pro Football Network writer, talking about the SEC, more importantly, talking about Texas A&M. Ian, this is a big year for A&M. A lot of people last year were very skeptical. Seven and five. You're paying Jimbo Fisher $7.5 million. But keep in mind, they faced off against the number one team three different occasions. On top of that, they also faced off against two other top 10 opponents in Georgia and in, I believe it was Auburn at the time. So they they faced off against five top 10 opponents going 0-5. And in two of them, they almost had victories. This schedule before everything happened, before COVID, was playing in their favor with Abilene Christian, with uh, Colorado replacing Clemson, Vanderbilt being the replacement for Georgia. Just when you watch the film, just overall on AM, did you see this team actually looking like a true competitor in 2020, knowing the schedule that they have ahead? 
you can never talk in absolutes with that because it's dependent on so much. Uh, like the players have to progress over the course of the offseason. The plan the coaches put in place has to, you know, work, which we've seen from Jimbo Fisher. He's pretty good at that situational coaching. Um, but I, I love the talent I saw on offense and defense. You know, I think there's a lot of untapped potential on this team. And they, they there was kind of a downswell in recruiting, but they came right back this year and got two five stars. Uh, Demon, Demos, I think is his name, the 6'3 wide receiver who ran like a 4'3'6. So a lot of uh, there's an infusion of talent coming and they got a lot of talent hold, held over from previous years. And I really thought that, um, especially with all the losses in, in the rest of the SEC with, you know, Alabama, LSU, uh, I'm blanking on another one, Georgia, all losing their starting quarterbacks, you know, from Tagovailoa, Burrow, and then a lot of other turnovers as well. I thought that um, the um, Texas and Maggie's, especially with all that continuity there, they were primed to at least compete. We can't really say if they would get back to the golden days, but uh, they, I think they were primed to compete for sure. Yeah, and I think that right now, up until we know what the actual schedule is like for AM, theirs is supposed to come out later this week. We don't know for sure what's going to happen with their upcoming year and if they are still going to be contenders. But what we do know is they have a quarterback down there by the name of Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond is something of an enigma. We don't really know what he is. We don't really know how to best prepare for him, but he's still viewed going into the year as either the top or the number two quarterback in the SEC behind Florida's Kyle Trask. So just based off initial appearance from what you saw from Mond, what were some things you really, really liked about the quarterback? So the physical traits pop right off the tape. Um, you know, I was watching some other quarterbacks to um, kind of juxtapose Mond with them in terms terms of their physical traits because that's that's the first thing you really notice is like how mobile are they how athletic are they can they perform off platform off script and how good is their arm and I thought that Mond was near the top of every category uh, there you know um, working in the pocket he's a little clunky in terms of his operation but athletically he moves really well he's really good at you know generating momentum from his stance and moving and evading pressure when it comes and there's some really amazing plays. I remember there was one I was watching. I can't remember. It was against Texas State, I think, where he evades the rusher to the left, running to his left off platform, just delivers a dime in the red zone to Jamon Osborne, uh, right in a pocket where the defender couldn't get it. So it's those flashes of off platform throwing, you know, where you don't necessarily have the torque if you're not athletic enough and not flexible enough. But he can generate that torque off platform, which is really incredible. And he also has the arm to just launch it. And, and, and that arm flexibility is really key, too. So those are the traits that I look at. And he definitely needs to harness, to, to hone it in a little bit and harness it and become a little more consistent. But those physical traits really pop off. And I compare him to other quarterbacks like KJ Costello and Kyle Trask. I think his arm is better than Trask. I think he's more mobile than Costello. You know, he needs to put it all together, but the foundation is there to build on where he can be higher than everyone else. So the biggest thing that I noticed when watching the film on Mond is partially the reason for his downfalls was his inability to read past his first option. Mm -hmm. But the other part was his offensive line kind of allowed a lot of pressures. It was a poor offensive line. Did you notice that maybe him breaking out of the pocket too soon? Was that a, a common occurrence or was this more so, yes, the offensive line was a little bit under underachieving, which led him to have to be more mobile? You know, it's always a little bit of both, I think. And I think that one can lead to the other. Like he can, over time, you know, oh, he's like, oh, my offensive line is breaking down all the time. I need to be ahead of the game and maybe get out of the pocket and get more space for myself. That can be a pitfall too. So I think 
they kind of go hand in hand with one another. There were times when the offensive line kind of broke down a little early and he found himself having to re-script. But at the same time, there were also times where it looked like he just habitually left the pocket when he might not have needed to yet. And that's kind of a habit that you need to break. And some of that might be broken in a different situation. Like you can't really break that if the offensive line continues to uh, erode like that. You know, that's going to be a, a thing that's always part of your game until something changes, uh, which which I think is, you know, things could change this year. They have a lot of pieces coming back on that line and guys could get better. So I think there's room for optimism there. but. Um, I do think it went hand in hand. Like that offensive line definitely wasn't great, especially going against SEC defensive lines. There's going to be penetration there. Um, but uh, over time, you know, as Bond expects it and as he tries to get ahead of it, he maybe contributes to the chaos there. So I think there's room for him to kind of reel it in a little bit for sure. In a shortened season with the Aggies, all five offensive linemen are returning. It'll be another year for Kenyon Green, the five-star uh, offensive lineman out of Umble, to kind of hone in at right guard. Very excited to see what he can do. Uh, Ian Cummings from the Pro Football Network Draft Analyst. Follow him on social media at Ian Cummings 9 Ian, here's a thing that I'm starting to notice about the NFL a lot. You have your Lamar Jacksons, your Russell Wilsons, your Patrick Mahomes, mobile guys who are – really known for extending plays outside the pocket, a little bit bigger, maybe not as much of runners outside of Jackson, but they're still able to kind of be more of a flashy, on-the-run, on-the-move type of guy. Then you have your stout pocket passers. You have your Matthew Staffords, your Matt Ryans, your Joe Burrows even. Those are the type of two quarterbacks in the NFL. Would you say Kellen Mond is either of them or like a kind of a perfect mix of both, which could make him actually more valuable when looking at it from a scouting perspective? You know, I think he is a little bit of both. Um, I think he has the traits where he could be a Mahomes or Jackson. Not like, not exactly like that, but that type of passer where he can perform off script and where coaches can scheme him off script and kind of create that imbalance for the defense. I think he has the traits to generate that. But at the same time, you look at him in the pocket. He's poised. He's tall. He's pretty tough. Uh, and he can stand in there and deliver. And if he can kind of get more consistency getting past his first read, I really think that there, he can find a healthy balance and be that guy who kind of stands in the pocket when he can and, and stay on script when he can and try and maximize the offensive scheme. But at the same time, if he has to, he can divert off course. And having that flexibility is something that could be really, really key uh, in, in today's today's NFL. Because, you know, like you said, it's the trendy thing. Uh, the quarterbacks that have to scramble and stuff and throw from like sideways and behind the back throws and stuff like that. But having that arm flexibility and having that athleticism is really key, but at the same time, you got to go old school sometimes and just stick to the script because otherwise the game is more volatile. If you can keep it within reason and keep yourself in control of what's going on, that's an even better thing too. So I think if Mon can find that balance, uh, he can really break some new ground here. And I think you're right. I think he does have a profile that kind of fits that. Like he's tall, poised, strong, but at the same time, athletic and really has an arm that's both flexible and strong. He's got that linear strength, but he can also put different angles on it, which is really important. So, We got Ian Cummings here on the show. Ian, before we move on, we know about probably the top three quarterbacks in this year's draft class being Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, more than likely Ohio State's Justin Fields coming in at two or three, and North Dakota State's Trey Lance likely being the other. Where would you put Kellen Mond in this ranking of those after those three? What ground would you go put him in? heading into the 2021 draft. Let's just say no no college ball season. Last year was his last year. What round does he go? Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know where exactly I would rank him. I would probably put him 
early day three, maybe late round three, um, early day, like round four or something like that. I think a lot of people expected to see him kind of progress and take the next step uh, in 2019, which he didn't quite do. He kind of stayed where he was and he got a little more inconsistent in some areas, which you wouldn't want to see from from your quarterback. So I think but I think there's enough upside there where you can if you're an NFL team, you're looking to bank on him. You're thinking, hey, I can get this guy in round three and maybe he can become a starting quarterback by year two or three under some tutelage from a veteran. Uh, I think that could be something that happens. I in my mock draft earlier this earlier this offseason, I think I had him go to the Colts. So they just drafted Jacob Eason, but I'm not I'm not as high on Eason. Um, so I think Mond has that athleticism and that arm talent that you want, and you say, hey, here's a tool palette that we can really develop and we can really build around, and potentially get a guy uh, who can who can produce uh, later on. So I think he has the the foundation and the raw physical traits uh, to demand at least. Uh, an early day three look for sure if there's no season you know hypothetically um and he could but he could rise into round three too because you know when you have that in spades teams are looking at you and you're like this guy can do something that this other guy can't and that's important so i think i think that gives him a decent a high floor uh but um he would he would benefit from an extra season to try and hone down the mental parts of his game uh, and potentially get into round two or one so I definitely could see him being a, a round three pick. I'd love to see him go to a team like Seattle working with Russell Wilson. I think that'd be an awesome fit. I'd love to see him be a backup in Kansas City behind Mahomes. I think that'd be a great piece for them to be able to mold and maybe trade him. In a few years down the line, that'd be great. But we know that he's not going to be a starter immediately in the NFL. But there is another player on that offense who could be a starter probably as a round two prospect. And that's Jamon Osmond, the speedy slot receiver. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about him in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network on iTunes, Spotify, and so follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. We got Ian Cummings here, NFL draft analyst from Pro Football Network. He's a great follow. Follow him at Ian Cummings 9. Love watching this dude. I've been, I work along with PFN, most people know. I work in the general NFL department and I have watched him grow. He's fantastic. But he recently wrote an article covering Texas AM and their top prospects. And he wrote a few that are not going to be in this year's draft class, like Kenyon Green, Isaiah Spiller, uh, DeMarvin Leal is going to be definitely one. I think that, that those are going to be players we talk about in 2021 going into the 2022 draft class as potential back to being first rounders but there is a player who I do think can be if not a first round prospect at least similar to a Mecole Hardman rise because of his special skills and that's Jamon Osmond the speedy slot receiver for the Aggies coming back for his senior year Ian let me just get this out of the way you have Damon Demas coming in as your next big time prospect but you lost Kendrick Rogers and you lose Courtney Davis. This is really the only wide receiver with over 25 reps from last year that is going to be anything. Does that put a lot more pressure on Osmond to be successful as that number one target? I think it does. Um, I think a little bit of the pressure is alleviated. I, I don't remember your tight end's name. It was something Meyer. I can't. Jalen Weidemeyer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I, I, I was watching him and he he looks exciting too. So I think. He'll alleviate some of that, but um, the pressure is definitely on Osborne. He's going to come back as the number one receiver. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him, especially as that one holdover who has that chemistry with Kellen Mond to try and just hit the ground running, uh, especially with the opportunity in the SEC. You know, other guys like even DeMoss, you know, he's so exciting. 
as a prospect, but he's going to need some time to kind of get the lay of the land. And so if you're Osborne, you need to hit the ground running. You need to be that guide for him. And you need to help Kellen Mond have that reliable guy right off the bat because with all the pieces coming together, it might take a little bit of time for it to coalesce. So I think he, there's going to be pressure on him to do that. And I, I think he's up for it watching his tape. He, he's really polished even with his speed, you know. Like some guys are either raw or they're, or they're very detailed but not really athletic. I think Osborne has a good de- balance of both. So I think that'll help him out in the, in the early goings. One thing I really love about Osborne that I've noticed with a lot of different receivers, I love his route running skills, but I do wonder about his change of direction. I do wonder about a few other little details, maybe his catch radius. Are, are any of those kind of concerns that maybe pop out at you as well? Because of, I think that he has shown his ability to be a true number one receiver in a college offense, but there are some minor, minute issues that I do think could cost him a, a round or two, especially in the upcoming draft the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I apologize. I'm taking a tour of my house right now because my computer's a little low. But uh, I do watching his tape. His uh, his catch radius is a little small for sure. Um, but I think his hands are good enough, and I, I really like his body control too. As he gets to the catch point, he has this ability to contort and get himself to the ball, which I really liked. I saw a few flashes of him doing that. So I think he has some of the skill set to alleviate those concerns, but. There are going to be some areas where he simply won't be able to do what he's supposed to do. And I think that will hurt him, like you said. But he also has some tools to alleviate it. So it's kind of just a give and take all the way through. Uh, but I definitely – sorry. Okay, back. I definitely like the catch – I think the catch radius is a little small, but he has some traits to kind of compensate for that. We talk about his body control, his hands. His hands are so solid. I love his hands. Uh, very – you know, some receivers try to haul it in with their body. He just reaches out, grabs it with his mitts. So I like that, um, but the catch radius is one thing that really stood out to me, for sure. I mean, and, and those are just things that you can't control when you're five foot eleven. I mean, yeah. you've seen that with a lot of different players at his size have that small issues. But again, they make up for it with their speed. They make up for it with their route running. They make up for it for other ways of contingency to be able to be a constant, productive type of player. When you look at the SEC as a whole and you look at this wide receiver court, the top two guys left last year, and that would be, I would say, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. Mm -hmm. Uh, After that, you also saw Justin Jefferson leave. But you have Jamar Chase come back. You have Devonta Smith now taking over at the Alabama number one. Jalen Waddle coming back as the Alabama number two, who is playing really a number four in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Where does... Osmond fit in this plethora of talented wide receivers. There's a few other really talented ones. There's the guy at Mississippi State. I'm blanking on his name. The kid from Arkansas. I'm blanking on his name. But but where does he fit? Is he just a limited slot guy, or is he a guy who can be a true, maybe not number one, but at least a quality number two receiver at the next level? Just even though he's moved inside. Um, I think he's buried a little bit right now uh, because you look at his production. He hasn't really broken out yet. You know, he was a solid complimentary threat last year, but that breakout age is a little late. So he needs to get going. And he needs to be that guy who's dominating defenders week in and week out. And I think we can see him get towards that point uh, this season, but there's definitely a lot of room for him to grow. And I think, I, I think there's going to be opportunity there too, because like we said earlier, you know, he's really the longest one of the longest tenured guys in that receiving core so he's going to have that opportunity to hit the ground running and kind of just keep producing week one on and and be that guy be the go-to guy for Kellen Mond and I think that'll help him out for sure uh, and that can help him kind of rise above the obscurity 
um, among the SEC wide receivers because the SEC is like filled to the brim with talent. There's a lot of guys out there and Osborne is kind of buried. You know, I had to do a little bit of searching to see him uh, when I was researching. I was like, OK, what's this guy all about? And I liked what I saw, but he's got some work to do before other people are saying that, too. So I think he's he's kind of in the middle somewhere right now, uh, but he can definitely get up to the top for sure. All right. I cannot disagree with you on that. Before we let you go, Ian, just one last thing. There's always a breakout player in a conference. There's always a breakout player on a team who eventually starts to see their stock kind of rise. Do you have a breakout Aggie that maybe not enough people are talking about that could end up surprising a lot of people boosting his draft stock going into 2021? Um, I like the defensive. I actually like the defensive backfield, uh, the secondary. We talk about guys like Miles Jones, Damani Richardson. Uh, Leon O'Neal, I think he might opt out uh, based on the season, but I really like how big these guys are. Texas A&M, you can tell they like defensive backs who have size and speed coupled together because if you're a defensive back, usually you're smaller than the receiver that you're going up against. But if you can kind of mitigate that difference and, and kind of level out with them, it can really tip the scales in your favor. And Miles Jones is a guy, I think he had two interceptions, six pass deflections last year. Uh, he produced a lot early on, kind of trailed off down the stretch. So I think we'll see him break out a little bit and become that alpha cornerback this year. I really like his combination of athleticism and length. He, he doesn't have burner speed, but I think he has enough flexibility and short area burst where he can be that guy. And then Damani Richardson, too. I think he's a very versatile guy in that safety core, and I think that we'll be able to see him take some different roles for this team. That defense, they're going to need it to come out on top because, you know, that offense, there are some moving pieces. and. Kellen Mond, you know, he can do a lot on his own, but you you need a complete team effort. And I like what I see in the secondary. I think the traits are there uh, with guys who are big and fast and kind of athletic and versatile. Need to see it come together, but I'm really excited to see those guys in particular. You heard it here first, Locked On Aggie fans. So if Miles Jones has a breakout year, just remember, Ian Cummings called this way back in August. Ian, thank you so much for being here on the Locked On Aggies podcast. Tell the good people of Locked On Aggies fandom where they can find your great work every single day. Yeah, so you can just go to Pro Football Network, uh, look up Ian Cummings, author of Pro Football Network. I'm there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. I was just going to do straight up Ian Cummings nine, but someone had that taken, so I had to improvise. So Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. That's where you can follow me. Ian Cummings underscore nine underscore. Make sure you follow him. And that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following the show at Locked on Aggies and myself at Mr. Cole Thompson. We'll be back tomorrow doing an Aggies quiz, catching up on what we know about the Aggies. We don't really know a lot right now what's going to go on with the 2020 season, but we do know that there is some stuff that we can play along. We'll put Ian's article inside of our comment sections for you to be able to read. And we'll put the quiz in tomorrow so you can play along and see if you actually know more about the Aggies than I do. Until then, then, we'll see you then, and remember, take them y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.